it to left field. And there is career home run number 100 for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to give the Blue Jays an early lead. Hey everyone and welcome to At The Letters for September the 14th. 2022 at the letters of course brought to you by miller light the original light beer ben nicholson smith here with you arden's welling off this week he'll be back next week Uh, but this week we have a lot to get to of course the blue jays playing really well they are in the midst of a series against the tampa bay rays as we record this they've had a really good road trip before arriving back in toronto eight and two on the road they're playing great so there's a lot to get to with nick ashbourne we're going to discuss jose barrios we're going to discuss the jays most important players some potential weaknesses for this team as they head toward the playoffs i mean no guarantees but it certainly looks like this team is going to be playing in october when it really counts in the meantime i do want to start just by looking at some of the rule changes that have been implemented or that will be implemented by major league baseball uh, because they're they're honestly pretty significant and they deserve a little bit of discussion. So I'll run through my quick thoughts on those before getting to our conversation with Nick Ashbourne here. Number one, the pitch clock. I mean, I, I think this is great. A pitch clock will speed things up. It will cut away excess from the game. It will leave all of the action. I just think it's a great call. You look at the numbers from minor league baseball, the games are faster. That's good. It's less time for players to have to be on their feet. It's more action in a short period of time. It'll be an adjustment, but honestly, I think that's a great development for Major League Baseball. I'm excited to see that in action next year. Number two, I also like number two, bigger bases and restrictions on throwing to first base with a runner on, throwing to second base with a runner on. This will nudge things forward in the direction of more stolen bases. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, it's it's not going to be a huge shift. I don't think that we're necessarily going to see a you know transformation when it comes to the number of stolen base attempts, but you make the bases bigger, so it's a bigger target for a runner who's sliding in, and it's also just a slightly shorter distance. And then it's harder for pitchers to keep runners in check at first base. We'll see more attempts. We'll see more successes. I think that's a great thing. If you're a fan watching baseball, normally you're going to enjoy watching a stolen base attempt. It's action. And it brings back an element that's been pushed a little bit aside in recent years. So I I really like that one. And then the third change, the final change that Major League Baseball announced is the shift, the restrictions on the shift. So now there have to be two runners, two fielders, I should say, on the right side of second base and two fielders on the left side of second base at all times. So you got four infielders, their spots have to be on either side of second base. The outfielders can do whatever they want. There are no restrictions on them. So it's not banning the shift, but it certainly creates limitations for teams moving forward. This one I don't love. I think just big picture, I like the idea of having fielders with the freedom to move where they've moved for 100 plus years. So I don't love it at first glance. I'm open-minded. I mean, we'll see how it plays. And I'm definitely curious to see in spring training 2023, teams will experiment with different things. They'll move their outfielders around at times. Maybe we'll see fielders, you know, infielders in motion at times. I think that's probably easier said than done. 
but curious to see if teams do start infielders in motion at times. And I think we'll almost certainly see more singles as a result of this limitation. I think that's a good thing for Major League Baseball to see more singles, potentially some more doubles, more contact, maybe more of an emphasis on contact hitters, more roster spots for contact hitters, more balls in play, more action. I think that can be a good thing. I don't like getting there by creating that restriction, but again, open-minded. And one thing that in talking to a, a baseball person this week, an interesting point was was made which is that teams right now spend so much energy, so many resources, so many hours on preparing for the shift and making sure that their defenders are positioned well, that once the limitations are imposed and it's harder for teams to shift in meaningful ways, then those resources can actually go elsewhere. And teams can actually use all of that time, all of that effort to address different questions and potentially to, to answer different questions that are totally separate from the idea of positioning defenders. So where that leads, obviously impossible to say, but organizations in baseball right now are, are putting a ton of time into shifting their players, and yet it doesn't really create an advantage. It doesn't really create an edge because everyone in baseball is shifting against Joey Gallo. No one's playing a straight-up defense against those lefty pull hitters. And so that's an interesting kind of wrinkle to me as is the idea that range will be more important for defenders at first base in particular, where you don't have the ability to let that extra infielder take those balls that are hitting the 3-4 hole. And instead, someone like Vlad Guerrero Jr. has to make those plays himself, something that Vladdy can do, more emphasis on pitcher defense and infield range in particular. So intrigued to see where it goes, even if I don't necessarily love that restriction, intrigued by it all. But of course, There are more pressing questions for the Toronto Blue Jays, more pressing questions for us here on At The Letters. So let's get to those and turn now to our conversation with Nick Ashbourne. We are joined now by Nick Ashbourne, a contributor at Sportsnet, among many other places. Nick, it's great to have you on. Uh, I should list those other places. Yahoo Canada is one of them. North Star Bet is another. You're also the co-host of a couple of podcasts, Blue Jays Happy Hour and Pitch Talks. So it's great to have you on here on At The Letters. Thank you very much for making the time and, and joining us today. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. I know you've come on the various podcast ventures that I've been a part of over the years and experienced that. I think this is my second time stopping in here, so I'm probably still in your debt, but uh, it's it's fun to stop by. Far from it. It's great to have you on, and uh, we've got a lot to get to today. I think you know, with, with the Jays being where they are at this point in the season, there are a lot of granular topics, and you're someone who's good at getting to the really granular, so I want to go there. But I, I do want to start kind of big picture because... We're at a point in the season here on September 14th, as we record this, so midway through September, that really it is a great time to be a baseball fan or to be writing about baseball, talking about baseball. And I'm someone who, you know, it could be January, I'm looking at arbitration cases, it could be, you know, the, the middle of, of March, and I'm, I'm writing about out-of-options players and, and legitimately interested in that. I mean, there's really no limit to the interest that I have in baseball, but I think for maybe the casual fan, which, you know, of course, you're far from being, but for, for the casual observer, for the, for the hardcore observer, it really is a great time of year. So I think it's got to be toward the top of any sort of baseball month power rankings. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to power rank the months, you got to go April number one. So much hope, so many new players in new places. We kind of discover things, guys break out and you wonder if it's real or not. 
There's a lot there. You, you've been wanting baseball for months. It comes back. But September's right there next to it. And, you know, it's the cliches that it's meaningful baseball. You know, all the games are meaningful. The Blue Jays missed the playoffs by a game last year. There's many games that that could have been. Uh, we know how important every game is. But at the same time, when you have those disappointments early in the year, you can often say, oh, it's a long year. There's 123 games left. There's 87 games left. There's 61 games left. It's going to be okay. And things feel a little bit magnified right now. If you let something slip away that really should have been a win, that can come back to bite you. It's going to be heavy in your memory. And the reality is that, yeah, each of these games feels more important. Even if you want to be technical about it, it technically isn't. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's also it's great because if you're watching these games and you have a rooting interest, everything feels really significant, as you're saying. And so, for example, the Tuesday doubleheader against the Rays, it's like, is Manoa going to come back? You know, he comes back. He has this great start. People are so excited about that, as they should be. But, you know, realistically, if he hadn't come back, then he would have had a couple days to get over his illness and the Blue Jays still probably would have made the playoffs. So, you know, you have these stakes. There's there's meaning to it for sure, but it's not win or go home. And win or go home is great. It's its own animal. And for me, you know, I would say... September is probably my number one. October is maybe my number two. December. Oh, I didn't think that. That's not fair. I didn't think that counted. That's sure. So we'll thing. take October out. So so then September is probably, probably number one. I think I would have used to have December because the winter meetings used to be so good. I think the winter meetings have kind of, they've fallen off a little bit as far as how much actual business gets done. Um, so September would be really high up there because you're not running the risk that, okay, the season is over, which is its own kind of fun. But it's also very stressful. So this time of year, you can enjoy it and know that there's more baseball coming. Yeah, and the Blue Jays are in a great spot for that, right? You know, they've kind of put the Baltimore Orioles behind them. I know technically they could still fall out of the playoffs, but there's none of that. The Orioles are coming existential panic that you're going to have this season end in not even a playoff berth with the expanded playoffs, which would have been embarrassing for the Blue Jays considering the expectations for the team. So now we're kind of jockeying for wildcard positions and keeping an eye on the Yankees' collapse. So there's that level of safety, but there's also absolutely something to play for because you want to be that first wild card. I mean, you want to win the division again. That's still conceivable, if unlikely. But hosting those games makes a big difference. I don't think you want to go to Tampa Bay, for instance. You know, Even going to the AL Central winner, people want that because those teams are considered to be of a lesser caliber. But winning you know, two out of three on the road is not easy, even against not particularly good teams. So there's absolutely something to play for. But with that safety blanket underneath it, I think that makes it a lot easier for Blue Jays fans to, to have a good time in what might be otherwise a really stressful moment in the year. Yeah, and it could end quickly, right? Like, they're a good team. Again, I've probably said this many times, but I won't be surprised if they're in the World Series. I won't be surprised if their season ends in two games, right? So this is probably the time where you can enjoy that a little bit. And man, they have a shot. You kind of alluded to it there. I checked this morning, 4.5% for the Blue Jays to win the American League East. Yankees almost blew it Tuesday night in uh, Boston at Fenway Park. And they're playing pretty badly right now. They're a vulnerable team. They don't have LeMahieu. They don't have Rizzo. They're a team whose bullpen has really faltered. So if you're the Jays, I mean, you're not going to endanger your players, certainly. I mean, you're going to give them the buffer they need if Springer needs a day off, if Manoa's, you know, if he comes down with a a gastro issue five days from now. Like, you're not going to be unreasonable, but you still have to push because 4.5%, that's not nothing. There's a chance there. And to me, if you're the Jays and there's any way that you can sneak in and pass the Yankees, I mean, that would be incredible. 
Yeah, it, it, it makes an enormous difference to your playoff odds or your odds of winning the World Series, the context in which you make the playoffs. A three-game series is not enough to decide which team is better. It simply isn't in the sport of baseball. Maybe in basketball between mismatched teams, absolutely. Maybe in the NFL, you know, they do single-game eliminations. Maybe in the NFL you could do it. In baseball, it's simply not possible. So you can have the better team by a huge margin. Let's say the Blue Jays end up in the third wildcard spot, and you think they're a better team by a pretty big margin over whoever wins the AL Central. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. That's still no guarantee. Like it's still basically a coin flip. So winning that division makes a huge difference. You know, the baseball playoffs in general is kind of a series of slightly weighted coin flips, but you want to get that slight weight if you can, because when you're dealing with a three game series, literally anything can happen. That sounds like lazy analysis, but it's also being realistic. Yeah, selfishly, I would certainly sign up for a wild card series in Toronto. I think that would be a, a lot of fun, especially for you know a fan base that it's really a, a group of fans that has not had baseball in Toronto enough over the last couple of years. And the last time the Jays were in the playoffs, that was at the top. I mean, it barely feels like that counts or counted. So I think the Jays fans deserve it, but we'll see where where that lands. Um, I, I do want to kind of start getting a bit more granular here with with Bobichat here, Nick, because. Last week on At The Letters, almost kind of skimmed over and at the very end touched on Boba I mean, this is not a player who can be skimmed over two weeks in a row the way he's hitting. So I guess, you know, what is what is this streak or stretch of a couple of weeks of incredibly impressive offense? What does it tell you about Boba if anything? It tells me that he's sort of who we thought he was. And that's not where we were, you know, three weeks. So, like, that sounds like a tepid endorsement. Like, wow, this unbelievable world-beating streak shows me that he's pretty damn good. Well, you know, he wasn't having a good year. He was he was having a sort of below-average year defensively and a just-above-average year offensively, which was well below his standards. You know, coming into 2021, he'd not played a lot of games. So it was easy to look at that and say, oh, maybe – you know, his rookie season was so short. 2020 was weird. He had one good year. He plays this kind of wild style at the plate that not a lot of hitters do and can be effective with. And the questions started creeping in. Maybe those questions were unfair. He's very young. He's very talented. He has a prospect pedigree. But this is the best of him. This is him ambushing guys on the first and second pitch and hitting home runs. But this is him running 13 pitch at bats as well and fouling off everything. And it felt kind of like what we saw when he first burst on the scene where anything could happen in a bat with him where early in the year he would get those counts though you know the one two the oh two whatever it was and maybe he could keep them alive but he would keep them alive by swinging at everything and fouling everything off and now in the midst of these huge at bats he's slowly working the count back into his favor and getting a good pitch which is a significant difference even if the outcome ends up being more or less the same he's never going to be an incredibly patient hitter he hasn't been during this time like He hasn't shown us a new level of raw power. He's not hitting 450-foot bombs. This is just the best Bobochet you're, I don't know if you're ever going to get. Maybe I'll have a streak like this again, but this is the best Bobochet we've ever seen. But it it is in the flavor of Bobochet. It's not something totally different. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. I mean, it's not that he's doing something different. He's not trying to pull everything into the left field seats in the third deck. 
he's still using all fields. He's still swinging at a lot of pitches and making contact and fouling them off and making really good contact more often than not. I think this is as good as I think Boba could get. I can't imagine that it could get better, really. I think the only way it could get better would be if he did this in the playoffs, um, you know, and then at that point, you're talking ALCS MVP and it's, you know, the kind of series you're talking about for five or 10 years or longer. But, um, you know, he's he has been really impressive offensively and, you know, not to not to zoom too far beyond 2022, because, of course, this season's foremost on everyone's mind right now. But, you know, when you do look ahead, he's approaching his Arbiers right now. And this is not going to be a player who is going to be signing for anything less than full full price you want to talk extensions right like he's got three R beers and then you know free agency after that he'll be a young free agent at this rate like it's it's going to be full price if the blue jays want to try to go down that path oh absolutely and in terms of arbitration too you think about the things that arbitration pays for and that's always been a little bit wonky in terms of where the real value is quote unquote right like he gets a lot of runs he gets a lot of rbi he gets a lot of home runs last year he got quite a few steals as well some of the things you could argue that he's less effective at, like advanced defensive metrics, are things that don't necessarily come into play in arbitration. Now, while he's in arbitration, he's still going to be good value for the Blue Jays. Yep. Like you're not going to cry over how much you're paying for him, but he is the type of player who's going to be well compensated during those years, and that may end up having an effect. You know, The extra couple million he makes because he's the type of player that system rewards could have an effect on Blue Jays' team building you know, deep into the future. Well, one thing that arbitration rewards a lot is games played, and Bobichet yeah. takes the field. He is someone who really is intent on being out there and, and intentional about being out there. I mean, this is a plan for him going into the season. He wanted to play 162. That won't happen, but he is intent on playing as often as he can. I asked him the other day how he's doing physically, and he kind of smiled and said, I'm pretty banged up. Like, I'm not feeling my best physically, but that is what it is, and it's not alone to Bo. So I want to do a quick diversion here to George Springer who continues to take the field maybe more often than we would have guessed if you were to dial the clock back a month ago he's out there a lot he homered on Tuesday for the first time in a while driven to left field it is gone I think it's his second home run since August 1st and we're not seeing a lot of power from George Springer, but he's taking the field. So what do you make of this version of George Springer? Well, it reminds me a little bit of last year at the end of the year. He was playing hurt. He was a diminished version of himself. This version is better. Last year, he was really a problem for them at the end of the year. Like he played, and again, it's him. It's his good inclinations. Like he wants to play. He wants to help the team. It's not a criticism of him, but he just wasn't there physically. This year, he looks a little bit better. He's actually, you know, because it's been sort of an arm elbow thing, he looks pretty good in the field at times. Like he makes plays that sometimes you'd think, eh, maybe it's okay to let this single or double drop in for you to not dive and land on that part of your body that's been injured. Uh, but that's just not really in his DNA. He's got the Kevin Pillar gene going, which is uh, a bit of an issue for him at times. Yeah, if he's playing his version of George Springer ball without power, it's not the same guy. Now he's still, he's really not striking out this year, which how he's putting the ball in play. He's still getting on base. So, you know, he's not the, the potent, he's kind of more of a traditional leadoff hitter at the moment without the power. And it's, it's not to say that he's not capable of producing that power with the way he's feeling physically. We'll see. That was a good home run that he hit on Tuesday. It could just coincide a little bit with the slump too. It's easy to write a narrative of 
oh, this thing is bothering him, therefore this is how he's feeling. You know, think of the exact opposite with Bo Bichette. You're telling me he's not feeling well, but he's got an amazing streak going. Yep. So it, it's not always that neat. It's hard to say for sure, but this is going to be part of the George Springer experience. Like, not only is he going to miss time, there's going to be times when he is there, but he's not fully George Springer. And I think it's probably fair to say that's where we are right now. Yeah, and I think at the same time, you know, if this is what the Jays get from George Springer, I think you're kind of okay with that from this point on. Like, if he is more of that traditional leadoff hitter, he's not hitting a ton of homers necessarily, but he's 400 on base, 400 slug. I mean, that kind of plays too. Yeah, and I mean, the people have criticized this lineup for being a little bit too samey in the past. That's a lot of right-handed hitters that swing from the heels. Now, Springer swings from the heels as much as anybody in terms of the way he ends up going down on that knee uh, and looking like he hurts himself with a lot of those swings. That's kind of part of his thing. But if he plays a little bit more, you know, Alejandro Kirkball, for lack of a better yeah. term, that does change the dynamic of the lineup. Like you said, it's not the worst thing in the world. You want him with all his power because that's part of what makes him great. But what he's doing right now is still helping the team, whereas last year at about this time, you could argue that he was hurting the team, and that's an important distinction. Welcome back to At The Letters. It is time now for Major League Beer for Major League Baseball, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Nick, of course, around baseball right now, you know, the big topic or one of the big topics is Albert Pujols and his chase for 700 home runs. The players that I've talked to are just uniformly excited for Pujols. They really have this kind of reverential way of talking about him. Super excited. And I think for fans of the game, it's hard not to be excited about Albert Pujols and and seeing this resurgence at the age of 42. So our, our topic for this week on Major League Beer is if you could choose for 2023 to have one player, one major league player, have a renaissance season along the lines of Pujols and just come back and basically be something close to the prime version of themselves, who would you choose? Yeah, I don't know if this choice is going to be popular with sort of pure Blue Jays partisans, of which I think that will make up a big part of our constituency here at, at The Letters in this episode. But I'm going to go with Lorenzo Cain. It was not long ago Lorenzo Cain was really one of the best players in all of baseball. And the way he played center field was so elegant. Like he was athletic and he had the speed too, but he seemed to have kind of that, you know, the long effortless stride thing going. Like he was really a pleasure to watch in that big coffin stadium center field. You know, he was stealing close to 30 bases a year. He was a well above average hitter, probably not getting enough credit for that, especially because he played in a lot of ballparks that weren't great for hitters, especially more gap to gap type of guys. He was, you know, he had a couple six-win seasons there, and it felt like a lot of people weren't looking. And I just thought he was one of the most fun players to watch for, I don't know, kind of a five, six-year span there in the mid-2010s to early-2020s. And, you know, he fell off the last couple seasons. A lot of guys who play that type of position at his age absolutely do. But he is someone who stood out to me. I know there are bigger names out there like Yadier Molina and Miguel Cabrera. But in terms of someone I really enjoyed watching in his prime, he's someone who stood out. It's a good choice. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's up there. I think Joey Votto could also be in that discussion. Um, of course, he had a great year last year, so it's not so far removed from his uh, prime. I'm guessing Jays fans would probably pick like Whit Merrifield maybe to get back there, um, or uh, you know, there's some there's some candidates for sure. My my personal choice would be Zach Greinke. I just think you know he's such a different pitcher, he's such a special pitcher when it comes to the way that he attacks hitters and the. 
way that he keeps them off balance, um, the way that he fields his position. He just does so many little things well. And prime Granky is really fun to watch. So if we could see one more year of that, he'll be 39 next year, which is getting up there. But I mean, we, we see Verlander and Scherzer uh, continue to succeed. Of course, they have a lot more velo than Granky does. But to me, if we could see one more Granky year, especially because, you know, he'll probably go into next year on a minor league deal somewhere, a modest guarantee, it would be a big story and it would really swing the fate of whatever team he's on. So I, I would love to see that if we could have that in 2023. Yeah, I like that a lot. One honorable mention for me quickly was Andrew McCutcheon, sort of perennial MVP candidate. He's still okay. But he's sort of a very vanilla brand of okay. He plays a lot of DH. He plays corner outfield not that well at this point. About a league average hitter. He was so great to watch too. Just excellent in every facet of the game from plate discipline to power to speed. um, Even defense in the center field. And really a remarkable figure in that brief resurgence that the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates had going for a while there. And now 35. He's someone I'd add to that list. That's a good choice. And again, shout out to Albert Pujols, who has actually raised his career OPS plus this year with the kind of season he's had. All right. So let's get to the pitching staff here because um, this is, you know, in some ways the strength of the team. Like you could say that Manoa and Gosman, I mean, if the it's hard to find a couple of starting pitchers that are better than that. And, you know, I was even on the Fangraphs leaderboard this morning and Gosman is number one in war among American League pitchers, and Manoa is, I want to say, seventh. He's in the top 10. So, I mean, this that, that's a great one, too. At the same time, beyond that, there have been questions all year. We've talked about Kikuchi extensively. We've talked about Jose Barrios extensively, and I want to get your thoughts on Barrios in particular. This is someone who I know that you've been looking at, because to pull back the curtain a little bit, for the ATL listeners, Nick is working on a piece on Jose Barrios that you'll be able to read at sportsnet.ca this weekend. So I, I know you've been looking at it. I know you've been thinking about Barrios. And I'm curious to hear what, what you're observing from him right now because it has been such a up-and-down season for him. It's interesting because he he keeps making little adjustments, little tweaks. Like he's not satisfied with the results. The team's not satisfied with the results. That makes perfect sense. He's someone who's shown, he showed as early as quickly after coming over from Minnesota. He's willing to change things up a little bit and work with this staff. And it seems like he's doing that again. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but he's really leaning on the changeup recently. Uh, last couple of starts have been really positive. And I think that's an interesting pitch for him because it works on the two issues that he has more than anything else. The first one is that his fastball is getting hammered. That's been a big storyline all, all year. His four-seam fastball gets absolutely hammered. Uh, so having a pitch that kind of gets guys off of that a little bit is promising to use it a little bit more. Uh, And then the other thing is that he's been really hurt by left-handed hitters, and that goes back to last year as well. So being able to really feature a pitch, because he's always had it, but he he kind of throws it at 10% a lot of time. He's throwing it more like 30% lately. To really feature a pitch that has that effect, or potentially could have the effect, we don't quite know yet, is interesting, especially with the fastball too, because he's got... You've probably seen potentially on you know pitching ninja and stuff like that. He's got that overlay where his his breaking ball is very horizontal, and he's got the two seam fastball that goes the other way. And those pitches kind of tunnel against each other. They come in and they go in opposite directions. The fastball comes in kind of straight, and the curveball or slider, whatever you want to call it, it goes to the other side. And so it doesn't really look like the fastball when it comes in. It doesn't get hitters off of it. I don't know. It's just a theory at this point, but if he really leans on that changeup, there's a possibility that fastball could get more difficult to hit. Now, I'm going to 
make all of that uh, go away for a second and say that I probably would start Ross Strickland yeah. Strickling <laughs> over him in game three right now because right now it's all experimentation. If you look at yeah. the course of the season, the results have not been there. Is Stripling a better pitcher than Barrios? Would I rather have Stripling than Barrios over the long term? Probably not. But we're getting down to it here. And in a single game, who's in better form right now? The reality is it's Stripling. And it's interesting because they're changing his usage a little bit. Some of this has just been efficiency. Mm -hmm. But he's gone six innings in his last five starts. He's only done that eight times all season. So they're clearly interested in seeing if he can go a little bit further in games, maybe face the third time through the order, something they've resisted with him in the past. I don't know if it means they're grooming him for this exact situation, but they are testing his limits a little bit. And so far, he's held up against those tests. And he's been extremely effective this year. Like, there's not a lot you can say against Ross Stripling's 2022. Oh, it's been it's been tremendous. There's no question about that. And it's so it's interesting, you know, not to make everything about contracts here, but of course, you think about Barrios, who after this year has six years, 120 left on his deal. And I don't know what Ross Stripling will sign for, but I'm pretty confident in saying it won't be 120 over six. And no. so, you know, this is he'll do well for himself. You should get a multi-year deal this offseason. Um, he'll be in demand, but, you know, it's not going to be nine figures. And it just goes to show that this time of year, you need the guys who are producing right now. And there is no doubt that Stripling has been producing right now. It's been very impressive. And in contrast to that, you know, the the word experimentation, I think, applies to Jose Barrios really well. When you look at some of the different things that he's done, glove movements, positioning on the rubber, pitch mix, um, you know, there's no lack of openness to trying new things there. Um, just hasn't necessarily resulted in in the way that you'd, you'd expect to see from Jose Barrios. And a lot of that does come down to the fastball. Seemingly, the command has eluded him at times this year where the velocity is there, but the command hasn't always been there. I think Francisco Mejia and the Rays would say that his command was pinpoint at one point on Monday when he hit Mejia on the hip. But, um, you know, that's probably that's probably a question for another day. And, and you know, we don't need to, to necessarily know whether that was that was intentional or not. But, you know, Barrios... One way or another, the Jays will need him because we've said this a few times on on at the letters. I'm sure you've said it as well, Nick, in many places. But you know, you need four starters to get through any sort of length in the playoffs. You just need four. So Brios is an important part of that mix. Yeah, absolutely. And again, over a long term, you feel good about that experimentation at some point resulting in him having success. Like the tools are there. He has you know, that breaking ball. He has is truly special and. He's been remarkably consistent over the course of his career. Over many years, he seems to put up approximately the same numbers each year. That's why this season has been so shocking in terms of what yeah. he's done. And as a fourth starter in the playoffs, I don't think you feel particularly bad about him. And maybe, you know, if every start from here on out, he absolutely nails, maybe he is yeah. the third guy again. Like, there, there's still decisions that can be made, as silly as it sounds, because baseball is such a long time horizon type of sport. There's still decisions that are going to be made based on how guys do over the next two weeks, three weeks. And he's someone who could change his position. And he's someone who we could feel very differently about uh, at the outset of the playoffs. But right now, that fourth spot feels pretty comfortable. Yeah, exactly. I think you have to be open-minded. There's still three weeks more in the regular season. That's a long time. Things can change for sure with performance, with injuries, um, with with a lot of different things. So as of now, though, and and, you know, there's still a possibility the Jays don't make the playoffs, but I think it's safe to operate under the assumption that they will be there when it all gets going in the second week of October. And so, you know, Nick, as you look at this team, 
um, and, and how they're positioned for the playoffs, we can easily identify the strengths, right? Like we've got a, a team here with Vlad and Bo and Springer, um, a rotation with Gosman and Manoa. Romano has been great at the, at the back of the, of the bullpen. What about the weaknesses? Let's go negative here a little bit. Let's, let's try to pick this team apart. Where are they most vulnerable in your mind? Yeah, I mean, the negative side has been my wheelhouse for a lot of there my career, go. so that's good. Uh, no, I, I think the easy answer is, to, is the bullpen, but I'm going to be a little bit more specific. I think their issue is an inability to play matchups late in games. Uh, you do have Romano as sort of the guy, and you can push him even for multiple innings. They have Anthony Bass as someone who's a real weapon against right-handed hitters. Mays is the only lefty they can trust, which is a bit of an issue, especially on nights where he's not available, which is going to happen. There'll be nights where he pitches, you know, too many pitches the previous night, and then suddenly you just don't have a lefty. When you look at their bench, you've got a lot of defensive specialists. You don't have guys who you can bring off the bench in huge spots. And when you compare them to other teams, the Rays are a bit of an unfair comparison, right? Because they are so good at this. This is what they always do. But if you look at the roster resource page, which is not necessarily gospel, but guys who are consistently on the bench against right-handed pitchers, which is most commonly what you're going to see. You know, you've got Choi. You've got Isaac Paredes, who brings power. You've got Harold Ramirez, who's a surprisingly good player. Really the good. Blue Jays let slip through their fingers. Yeah. Their bullpen has five lefties right now. That'll change when rosters constrict. But still, they have a lot of options with that. We know how variable their bullpen can be. Seattle, you've got Jake Lamb as the left-handed power hitter. I know people will scoff at that who are Blue Jays fans because he didn't do anything with the Blue Jays. But he's having a solid season as that bench lefty. You've got Sam Haggerty. He's a switch hitter. He's got a 134 WRC plus this season. Taylor Trammell, he's an above-average hitter this season. 103 WRC plus, left-handed outfielder. You've got Abraham Toro, not having a good year, but a switch hitter with a little bit of pop. And then their bullpen is similar to the Blue Jays, and it lacks lefties, but it has been superior to the Blue Jays this season. Late in games, when it comes down to it, the Blue Jays have guys who can pinch run, and they have guys who can play a little bit of defense, but they don't really have someone you can bring off the bench in a big spot and feel good about, uh, unless one of the catchers isn't playing, Mm -hmm. in which case you have Jansen or Kirk. And these other teams do, and they don't have guys in the bullpen who fill those special roles as much. They have Bass and they have Meza, but that's really two guys outside of your closer that you feel are huge matchup guys. And that is troubling when you're talking about a three-game series or just that one individual game you need to win. Like This is sometimes what the Rays are so good at. Over the course of the season, you think about their players and you say, oh, that's not a guy who's going to do an amazing job over an 150-game span. But... They put this guy in the right position over 74 games on, on, on a per-at-bat basis. They do really well. And that is something that the Blue Jays, I think, are going to have trouble with against elite teams. Yeah, I think that assessment makes sense. You know, on the bench, like I, I think maybe I'm a little more optimistic on the Jays bench than, than you are based on that description. I, it's definitely not perfect. Um, the Rays bench, as you read that out, that's a really good bench there. Um, I, I think like if you're the Jays, like if, I think the ideal would be if you sub out one of Bradley Jr. and Bradley Zimmer and you add in like a Jock Peterson, so then you have less redundancy when it comes to the defensive specialists, then you get someone who from the left side can really hit for power, really crushes righties. Or even like to a lesser extent, probably like the, you know, on sale version of Jock Peterson is Corey Dickerson, who they had oh, last Jake year. Jake Lamb. Jake you know, Lamb. Like Jake Lamb would yep. good, look good in a Blue Jays uniform right now, yep. the version that we're seeing now. Like that exact type of play. You know, Rowdy Telez seemed to outgrow that yep. role, and that's fair enough. 
but uh, they felt like they could get value for him. But he could have been that guy potentially that might have held back his career. He may not have loved that. Uh, but that that left-handed power yeah. hitter is not impossible to find, and they definitely have not found this person over the last couple of years. And I think especially if it was an outfielder, because then you can do some different substitutions. Um, you know, Rowdy, yeah, that, he would look good. I mean, he would be more useful to this roster than Trevor Richards right now, for sure. I mean, it's easy to say for a guy who hit 30 home runs, right? Um, yeah. That's that's probably stating the obvious. Um, that trade is a win for the Brewers, loss for the Jays. But okay, so the so the bench, I think, you know, Merrifield got that one hit. Um, you know, he is he not got the one. He got the one. It was a big one. He is not look good um, no. for for the Blue Jays. Um, look, that trade is what it is. You didn't give up a ton. You didn't get a ton. But the bench as a whole, if you have Biggio, if you have one of the catchers, if you have um, the defensive outfielders like Zimmer and Bradley Jr., I think there's some things you can do there. And we've seen John Schneider use the bench very capably in, in recent weeks. So, you know, I'm okay with the bench. I think the bullpen, however, and look, I'm, I want to give them credit because like they have pitched well. So I don't want to take anything away from what those individuals have done. But I think as you move forward, Man, it just would look better. It would it would look like a group that is stronger if they had one more arm that was really good in a, in a leverage spot. And I'm just not sure that Richards or Zach Pop is necessarily going to be that 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 person for the Blue Jays. Well, if you think about Garcia as sort of the next man up after mm-hmm. Jordan Romano, like what inning is he pitching for some of these other teams? Sixth, maybe. In some cases, fifth. Like Romano is outstanding. He's having a great year. He's getting stronger and stronger as the year goes on. He deserves a lot of credit for that because it could have easily gone the other way with how much they used him early in the year. But when you think of that next person up, the you know the bullpen ace that they are lacking, like they have a lot of like you said, good pitchers. You know, David Phelps is a good pitcher. Tim Nays is a good pitcher. Adam Simber is a good pitcher. These guys are all useful and play a role. But in those massive spots, that you know that second guy, I'd say even that third guy. Um, is just not at the level of other elite teams, other teams they're going to see in the playoffs. And there could be some decisive, you know, seventh, eighth innings where the game is knotted up and the other team shuts down the Blue Jays. And it wouldn't shock me. And again, Garcia's numbers are really good. So I'm not trying to denigrate him. He's a good pitcher as well. But there is a bit of a hole. There's, you know, there's Romano and there's a decent gap there. And a lot of teams have guys who fill that gap and the Blue Jays don't really. And it's not going to change at this point. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens. You're not with, Nate Pearson? Uh, you, don't, you don't believe he's coming back <laughs> to be the setup guy for the Blue Jays? I believe he's coming back. What that looks like, we will see. And look, like whenever I'm asked about Nate Pearson, I say it would be foolish to rule anything out, right? It, it really would be. Baseball is a weird sport. It's a long season. It would be foolish to rule anything out. I think it would be equally foolish to count on something from Nate Pearson. So for me, he's not really entering that conversation right now. I hope it's different in a week. I hope that the conversation is is totally different and we can talk more about Nate Pearson then. Um, I think you put that very politically. To be honest, I think it is more foolish to rule him in than to rule him out. I don't think it is equal. I think it is significantly more foolish to believe that Nate Pearson is going to... And I'm bullish on Pearson's skills as a reliever, perhaps more so than other people. I think people forget just how good he was in that role last season. You know, The ERA didn't necessarily speak to that, but the strikeout rates... And how he just how his stuff played in that role is is fantastic. It is MLB high leverage 
caliber for sure but we're you know we're just running out of time here for that to happen exactly and so for next year and beyond make him a reliever see what happens like do not worry about starting pitching for him or for Merriweather. but that's a topic for spring 2023 in all likelihood so in in the meantime the jays bullpen is what it is and so i think you know if if they're pushing for the yankees all bets are off push go for it if it turns out that in a week's time the yankees are still seven eight games up then and the Jays are still are, are six games up on Baltimore. You actually might be in a position where you can ease up on these guys to some extent as the season comes to a close. And I think if that's the case, like that is the time for Zach Pop and Mitch White and potentially Julian Merriweather and others to shine and to take those innings. And it's it's not as easy to just throw those around with twenty eight man rosters as it would have been before. But um, that really could be a good chance because it is imperative that those guys be available for multiple days in a row when the games really count and, and when the playoffs begin. Yeah, those guys also the position player side. We just talked about George Springer. Like, why push George Springer? Why not give yeah. him some time off if you get in that position? Like, Bradley Zimmer this year, 94 games, 104 plate appearances. Let's, let's change that ratio <laughs> a little bit. Let's give him a couple of starts out there, put him ninth, and be comfortable with that black hole. It's not just the pitching. The, you know, if Bo Bichette doesn't want a day off, sure, that's in his DNA that he just hates days off. But I wouldn't be opposed to giving him a day off. Like, yeah. you know, Tay Oscar, give him a day off. He's been, you know, physically up and down this season. Yeah, it would be interesting if late in the year, especially if they were locked into a specific wildcard slot too, because yes. there is something to play yep. for again in terms of hosting a game. But let's say they get locked into the third spot, for instance. Fighting for that second spot is probably not worth it. It's probably better to be in the third spot, to be honest. If you're yeah. going to be on the road anyway, you'd rather be on the road against that AL Central team. So if you find yourself in a position, again, it would take a little bit of a downturn for this to happen. But in a scenario where they're well ahead and they're in the third spot comfortably and the second spot is you know three and a half games away for whatever reason, the Rays and uh, Mariners both go on a hot streak, then you could think about just kind of sitting pretty there. And that could be pitchers and it could be position players as well. For sure. And of course, that's in the distance for now. For now, they got to push. They have to win the games in front of them. They have to keep playing with a sense of urgency. No doubt about that. And I think with that in mind, Nick, I want to kind of look ahead regular season and postseason and pose you the question of who on this roster would be hardest to replace. You know, if one person was not available for whatever reason for the rest of this season, which member of the Toronto Blue Jays do you think would be just the, the hardest to to do without on this team? I mean, you can say Bo Bichette just because of how amazing he's playing right now. Also, the fact that they don't have, you know, Espinal can play shortstop, but it's not necessarily the most natural fit. Like they don't have an obvious backup who's just a really good shortstop like some teams do just defensively. I mean, most teams don't have a good offensive shortstop yeah. to bring off the bench. Uh, I'd have to go with Manoa, though. I think he's been their most important player all year long. Now, if you want to go by, you know, the Fangrass War, as you said, Gosman is number one. That's all walks, strikeouts, home runs. And Gosman has had some horrific luck through a lot of this year. There's been some shifting of him that arguably was inadvisable. But at the same time, there's always that worry that if guys are on his splitter, and you could call it pitch tipping, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just guys have a good idea that day. Sometimes he just doesn't have a feel for it. He's so reliant on that one pitch working and it does the vast majority of the time it does. And that's why he's an incredible pitcher, but he's so reliant on that, that those outings where you get 5.1 innings from him and three earned runs are, you know, a little bit more likely than to happen than you would like for a high end pitcher. Whereas Manoa, just a little bit more consistent, pushing deep into games, 
you know, on Tuesday he did that, clearly not feeling his best necessarily. Um, and he was able to get into seventh inning in that game because their bullpen kind of lacks those bridge guys at the elite level. He can bypass them, right? You can go Manoa right to Romano in a lot of cases. And you don't feel comfortable that Gosman is going to necessarily do that for you. Even if he does fairly significant amount of the time, Manoa is just a little more consistent there. I think by the you know runs against war, he's at 5.5 this season. So that would be better than any of your position players. And yeah, I mean, if you just go on the runs he's given up and the innings he pitches, that's an oversimplification of what pitching is. But he has absolutely been the guy for the Blue Jays. Yeah, I think he, I, I agree with you. That's my answer as well. And I think that, he's been their best player i think he's been their mvp i think that you know it's it's remarkable when you think about you know having george springer on this team and vlad and Bo, a lot of talent a lot of star talent matt chapman's having a good year he probably doesn't get talked about enough teoscar hernandez is having a productive season kirk is having an all-star season gosman romano i i think of all those players it's manoa who's the hardest to replace and you know, as as long as we're looking at, you know, the core members of this team and who deserves to be here for a long time, I think the Jays should take a hard look at an extension for Manoa this offseason. He's in his pre-arb years. This is a really good time to take a look at that because he belongs in the Cy Young discussion. He's, I don't think he'll win it, and, and I don't have a vote, so I'm not spoiling anything here. But, you know, I, I think he belongs in that conversation with Verlander and Cease and Otani, um, a few others, of course, McClanahan. Uh, but, but Manoa should be right there. Yeah, and I think also the Blue Jays have learned from their experiences with Bo and Vladdy. And those guys come from different family contexts. We know that. Again, we don't want to assume too much when it comes to finances of other people. But we know that guys get deeper towards free agency and they start putting some of that arbitration money in their pocket. And there is less incentive to sign these extensions. And so you can approach Manoa, who hasn't done that yet. And you can give an extension with a fairly, I don't want to say modest annual value because, you know, he's a great pitcher. It's going to cost a lot of money. But because you'd be putting against some of his pre-arb years, even his arbitration years, you can bring that annual value down a little bit and make that more palatable over the long term. Sort of spread the money you would have paid him anyway if he ran to the end and then you signed him as a free agent. Instead, you just sign him through those years and some free agent years and even out the money a little bit from a team building perspective uh, that makes things a little bit easier and you get that cost certainty as well. Yeah, I'm I'm sold. I think it's an idea that's worth uh, worth exploring for sure. Um, Nick, we know you have many uh, obligations, uh, so I won't keep you any longer on ATL, but really appreciate the time and the insight. As always, we will be listening and reading your work uh, in the many places that we can find it, including Sportsnet, Yahoo Canada, North Star Bet, Blue Jays Happy Hour, and the Pitch Talks podcast. So thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. All right, that is it for us on At The Letters. Many thanks to Nick Ashbourne for joining me here and spending some time to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. Many thanks as well to producers Christian Ryan and Luis Ramirez for their work in bringing At The Letters to you. Thanks as well to everyone listening to At The Letters. It's a long season. Um, I, I really do appreciate everyone who listens in every week and sticks with us. I think now, honestly, we're really getting to an interesting point in the season. We're getting to crunch time. We have lots more coming your way and lots more planned on At The Letters. So a really exciting time and, uh, and definitely want to extend our thanks to everyone who listens, everyone who watches, everyone who engages with us on social media. It is not taken for granted. We, we appreciate it and look forward to really delivering a lot 
more content as the Jays make their push here. So with that, that's it for this week on At The Letters. We'll be back next week with Arden. I'll be in Philadelphia. We'll have lots more to discuss at that point. And until then, this has been At The Letters brought to you by Miller Lite. Of course, the original light beer. So thanks to them as well, our presenting sponsor. We will talk to you next week on At The Letters.